Welcome to hello. What's happening? I, I can't. This feels off. Okay, this is Dark Habits and a mode of our podcast. Um, uh, my buddy Joel is here. Hello. Uh, I'm I'm Spencer. I'm the other host of the show, and returning from the Children's Hour episode is writer, uh, podcast guest person who's been churning up a lot promoting her awesome new book um Catherine Coldiron hello all <clears throat> hello uh, well yeah thank you for coming back uh the uh I was really surprised by the well first off what made you want to pick um these two movies from the list I gave you well, I knew I'd have something to say about whatever happened to Baby Jane. I'm a huge, huge, huge fan of Betty Davis, so um, any time there's a Betty Davis discussion, you can count me in. Okay. And we have a couple more. All About Eve is one that I think I, I, I have to contact the person who, who, who requested that one, like, a long time ago. But, uh... Yeah, I think All About Eve is the other major one we got, but I can't remember. But anyway, yeah, so, um, uh, so I put these moves on the list because I'd never seen them before, and it was just one of those things where, um, since we're covering, uh, queer cinema slash classic Hollywood, and, um, it just felt like, well, we, we have to get to Baby Jane, and... I never hear anyone talk about Hush Hush Sweet Charlotte ever. So this was a perfect... So this was my excuse to finally be like... To watch that movie. Because I literally just know it from the poster. And the title. And that and that's really the only thing I've ever heard people say about it. Same but, writer. Yep. Yeah, Lucas Heller. So... Uh, J Dog, had you heard of these movies before I told you were doing this? Um, well, yes, of course. I've heard <laughs> okay. of the movies. Uh, before we get started, though, I want to say that trans rights are human rights, right? That's how we Correct. like to get people to talk about that. Yeah. And that if you're coming up on a time when you need to vote, make sure you are voting against these laws that are trying to prohibit people from simply living their goddamn lives. Here, here. Anyway, usually, um, yeah, you really yeah, I say that. 
But uh, thank you for doing that before I would forget an hour in. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no problem. So, uh, I mean, whatever happened to Baby Jane is pretty famous. It's like I've heard that title parodied in a hundred different things. And uh, I always had it in my watch list. And then I, I saw the Ryan, um, whatever his name is, series with... Uh, you must remember this? What are you talking about? No, no. Are you talking, talking about Feud? Yes, thank you. I'm talking about Feud. Mm-hmm. With... Oh, um... Susan Sarandon and... Susan Sarandon is Betty Davis. The Jessica woman Lange. who's... Yeah. Jessica Lange as... <laughs> Brain. I need Duan you to... Joe Crawford. Like What's her name? Joanne... Joe Crawford. Crawfish. Yeah, my favorite actress, <laughs> Joanne Crawfish. Crawford. And, uh, you know, that paints it to be, like, the wildest, craziest, like, terrible movie. Everyone was like, this is a terrible movie. It's going to be a terrible movie. And, spoiler, I don't think it's a terrible movie at all, <laughs> really. It's got yeah. a lot of things to keep my attention the whole time, which, you know, sometimes I struggle with. And actresses do amazing jobs, so... Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know what else to say about that. But okay, what about the sequel? For, oh. <laughs> What's the sequel called? Hush, hush, sweet Charlotte. Well, that's sort of sequel. sequel. No, sort of. That's that does no. I'm gonna write. I'm gonna write a list of sequels here. Oh, let's call it an opportunity. <laughs> yeah, it's absolutely. The director wanted to get those two actresses back, right? And thought mm-hmm. this is gonna work again. And Joan Crawford logically was like, no. Yeah, at yeah. some point. Uh, the only time I'd ever heard of Hush Hush Sweet Charlotte, Charlotte is because of like film Twitter and um, kind of like horror movie type stuff. Like this leans into it. And I, I agree. Mm-hmm. It's it's way more violent than Baby Jane. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, you have George, uh, George Kennedy, so it's going to be a bit more violent. That's not... <laughs> What? <laughs> He's in I the movie for being on TV a lot when I was a kid. Like mm-hmm. I, I saw Baby Jane a couple of times, um, like all the way through. But I just remember catching the end of Hush Hush a bunch of times on like TNT and TBS, and I don't have an explanation for that. But um, I, I remembered the ending very well. The rest of the movie, not so much. Mm-hmm. Huh. Okay. Yeah. yeah. For for me, it was, this was like. Uh, I I really like um, Baby Jane based off the first watch. I don't quite love it. It has that uh the the um the the thing of like it's been kind of hyped up a, a a lot over over the years for me, and it's still very good. But it, I don't quite love it. But Hush Hush, like really through caught me off guard. I really loved it a whole lot and. Uh, I, I, spoiler alert, like, I loved Hush Hush mainly because one of my favorite actors of all time is in the movie in a in a bit role, because he's, he's pretty young at the time. George Kennedy. Um, no, that's, um, Bruce Dern. He's actually in a bit part in another movie that year that I really like, uh, Marnie, which 
has the most messed up sexual sexual dynamics of any movie that year, but is um, a, a really fine watch. Yeah, that's one I've been iffy on if I want to include it on the season. But then we covered Cruising, so we, we might as well cover Marnie. <laughs> at least one of the posters. It's just Sean Connery, like, in mid ripping off some woman's clothes. It's like, what? That's- no. Tippy Hedren, and there's a there's a scene where he uh, she's frigid because she's um, had a weird thing happen when she was a kid. I, I don't want to give away the end of the movie, but um, he he literally rapes her until she's better, and so that's not cool. Uh, but it's it's a movie that has a lot of weird psychiatric crap in it, and. Uh, Connery's very good in it. Tippy Hedren actually gets the opportunity to act instead of, you know, looking pretty while birds fly at her. And so it's it's a good performance and it's an interesting peek into the sexual dynamics of 1964. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so we're not, not going to talk about Marnie in this episode. Maybe later. This is, um... Yeah, yeah. So, first off, J-Dog, what is the um plot of whatever whatever happened to baby jane whatever happened to baby jane there are two sisters the hudson sisters blanche and baby jane baby jane was a child performer and actress i guess in and film although we don't really see that but she was famous for being an adorable kid who can dance and sing while her father played instruments on the stage and as she got older, she fell out of favor. It seemed like people complained that she couldn't act and she was an alcoholic. Uh, Blanche, who during the time when Baby Jane was famous, was actually what you would consider the good child, is a famous actress at that time. And she's the one who's getting uh, her sister any of those jobs at all. But it all comes to a bitter, bitter end because... Blanche gets hit, I mean, saying get hit by a car, She a car rolls on and just happens to pin her in a way that her spine is broken. And she is, from then on, only uh, it's a, a, a paraplegic. She has to be in a wheelchair the whole time. So the move, the main part of the movie takes place much later. They're all older women. And Baby Jane takes, you know, I'm, I'm doing quotation marks, takes care of Blanche. But she drinks all the time. She's got a terrible attitude. She really thinks that Blanche is the reason she wasn't able to get succeed anymore, be famous. And Blanche, who has the patience and kindness of the kind of person you, you find in early Disney movies. Like, uh, you know, it's not... <laughs> Not a realistic portrayal of a person, but there's a whole reason behind everything. And at one point, Baby Jane decides, this is it. We're not going to... I'm just going to ruin her from this point on because I'm not getting whatever I want and I think is being kept from me. So, there goes the movie. Yeah. And uh, can you summarize Hush Hush? Oh, shall I? Alright, so. There's a southern belle. She's at Charlotte. 
And when she is young, I'm thinking, what? how old do you think she is in those first parts? I think she's supposed to be a teen, right? I think she's like 19. 19, yep. I just... Like I, I want to specify that I feel like she's an adult. She's not like a like a straight up teenager, but she's still in her prime in terms of debutante years. Yeah, she has a very rich father, live in a very nice house in the south, and something horrible happens to her lover, the person she was gonna run away with, aka Bruce Dern. Mm-hmm. You, you see, you see, I look like that. You'd be like, yeah, I can, I can see you running away with Bruce Turn, but you know, <laughs> whatever. Uh, so once again, flash forward to the future. Uh, Charlotte has been living in the mansion with uh, one, basically one main servant, uh, not even servant, like assistant, I guess. Yeah, she's she's got such a weird part. I'm sorry to keep interrupting, but she's like oh. her role is so strange. Yeah, yeah, that lady was like bothering me <laughs> okay so i i really i'm sorry I, I have to jump in and say please i loved agnes moorhead in this part she mm-hmm. has she had been sort of a best friend like a like a sort of ugly best friend character actress throughout the 50s especially in douglas Sirk movies and um she was very memorable in this one almost totally without dialogue episode of the twilight zone and like she always used her kind of not that spectacular face to great effect. She's a v- very much like the Eli Wallach of female character actresses for that period. Huh. And so I really think that she is being obnoxious and terrible on purpose. Like, I think it's a purposely horribly pitched performance to make you kind of sort of hate her a little bit. Like, I think that's yeah. part of the dynamic of what's going on here. And I just, I love actors that. Mm-hmm choose to make audiences uncomfortable instead of reeling back the performance a little bit just so that you can still bear to watch it yeah well to, to, to add a strange detail i have always found agnes moorhead very attractive like the first time oh. i saw sis and kane i was like that mom's doing it for me i don't know why <laughs> <laughs> <That's better. laughs> oh my gosh i was gonna say I mean, yeah, that too. Like, I've always found her, like, attractive and like, like in a like a Meg Foster kind of way, where it's like, mm. yeah, yeah, it's like this. She's very not, anti-glam. Like, that's certainly yeah. true. And I'm not saying Meg Foster is like, uh, I don't know, like she has those terrifying gray eyes, where it's like, it looks like she like they, they could pos- those eyes could possess me and kill me. Which is yeah, yeah. She's got like like Fremen eyes from Dune. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, does she's she have the spice too? Oh yeah. Can she, she share had it? the spice all over Hollywood back then? No, she can't share it. Come on. Okay. It must Jeez. be. Though. <laughs> okay. Sorry, J Dog. Go on with your summary, which was very good. <laughs> So, uh, and yes, Charlotte's an older woman, and a lot of people think that she's a ghost or the house is haunted itself, and it's because Charlotte has really not left in a very long time, and she will call out for that man who died all those years ago, sometimes thinking she could hear him or see him somewhere. So... She's about to lose her house. That's that's what's going on. That's when George Kennedy steps in, and he's the hero. Just kidding. Uh, he's in the movie for about, what, three minutes at the most? Yeah, yeah he just yells the whole time. 
And he's skinny. That's the skinniest I've ever he's seen him. So young. Mm-hmm. He has he has most of his hair instead of less than half of his hair. Yep. Somebody tore it out before Cool Hand Luke. Um, <laughs> yeah. So she's only got a certain amount of days before her house is going to be te- torn down for freeway bridge, something else like that. And so she has written a letter to her. Um, uh, what would you say the lady's relationship is? Cousin? Yeah, she says Co- cousin. Cousin's best. Um, I don't think Marion. Well, I thought somebody said, something said her about she, she didn't have any parents or something, and uh, the dad had, like, taken her in. I could be totally I mean, crazy. No, I mean, I, that sounds reasonable, but it's also, you know, Southern... Everybody who's sort of affiliated with the family, but not necessarily related as a cousin or an aunt. Okay, I thought you were going to go into stereotype. They're in the South. They're all cousins, if you know what I mean. No, okay. no, no, no. no? I, no. <laughs> my parents are from the South, so I wouldn't do that. But no, it's like, that's, you know, cousin Miriam, who grew up around us, and nobody exactly knows how she <laughs> showed up on the Absolutely. lawn one day. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So. I, oh, hmm? No, where are you going to Anyways, Cousin Marion shows up, and there is also a doctor involved, Drew, played by Joseph Cotton. And things seem to get more stressful for poor Charlotte after Marion appears. Like, she's, she already is, is very easy to trigger, you know, just a wrong mention of the name or wrong memory comes up. She hears the, a certain song playing. Like, uh, you know, the the uh, title song. Yeah. And is she actually seeing visions of her former lover, of her father, of the brutal murder? That she, she did not witness the murder, but, well, that's kind of a spoiler. Anyway, that's what the movie's about. Her marbles seem to be lost, and Miriam is helping her, right? Yeah, yeah, you can't see my elbow, but I'm giving you yeah. the elbow. And also, an uh, important co-star is that amazing wig. Uh, Betty Davis's wig? Yes, it's, it is wild. Mm-hmm. That's true. I do want to remark that the casting is useful in um, misdirection. Mm-hmm. Because, uh, I mean, Olivia de Havilland... I, I've been on a Del- an Olivia de Havilland kick lately, so I've learned that her 40s output was... <laughs> Stunning, like she had just an amazing run during the late 40s. But before that, her most famous part was Melanie Wilkes, who is a pale faced, mealy mouthed ninny. And she's like just a complete angel saint in Gone with the Wind. So mm. to cast her as this sort of helpful, loving cousin Miriam, and then that, you know, that's that's very smart casting. And Joseph Cotton, who had been um, a savior in Gaslight. Uh, to a oh. woman in a similar situation, um, and then to turn that around, like this is this is smart stuff. You know, the way that they're doing this. Plus, Betty Davis kind of replicates some of her performance from Baby Jane, but not all of it. And the question of whether she's like wounded and unstable, or murderous and horrible, is an open question for most of the film. Hmm, yeah. And uh, well. Actually, um, 
Catherine, you mentioned earlier you're a big Betty Davis fan. Um, what's your history with Betty Davis? Can you even remember how you first learned about her? Oh, I was probably seeing All About Eve uh, when I was, I don't know, late teens, probably. And, uh, you know, watching it 8,000 times since then. And then I saw her in... When I when I started getting serious about film, I watched Of Human Bondage, which was her kind of breakout role in the 30s. And I did not like the movie, but I really liked her. And she was, you know, she's a formidable woman in the 50s. And in the 30s, she's this, like, little, slight, uh, very very ingenue kind of energy. She's still got those extraordinary eyes, but it's just, they're in a very different face because her face changed a lot as she got older. So I was so interested in these two different performances and the way that she fills the room in All About Eve and the way that she kind of shrinks into nothing in Human Bondage. So... Um, in between, I watched, you know, The Petrified Forest and some of her comedies for Warners. And, um, gosh, I watched Jezebel and really, really loved it and was like, I can't recommend this to anybody because it's so fucking racist. <laughs> <laughs> She's, she gives this, this, this fireball of a performance that's unlike anything. And yet it's just... Like, it's not even one of those films that you can be like, oh, I'll forgive this. I'll wave it away. No, no, no. It's it's horrible. Uh, and as racist as Torch Song, the Joan Crawford movie? I haven't seen that. Oh, it's uh, the blackface one. Oh, yeah. No, this is... It's in, it's in a different way. Oh, okay. Because um, it takes place in the Antebellum South, and that's just, like, fine. <laughs> hmm. As opposed to being a site of conflict. <laughs> um. So, yeah, and, and just, you know, the more of her performances that I watched, the more I respected her. And when I learned about her and learned that she was really a stone-cold cast-iron bitch, like, then there was just no, no unbitchy bone in her body. Um, but she advocated for herself. She was an extraordinary actress. She got things done. And I just appreciated that, uh, the kind of, I don't necessarily want to be friends with this person, but I can admire them. Hmm. So. Okay. Yeah. Um, Jay Dog, we've probably gone to that when we talked about talked about the letter. If you if you remember that episode, but do, do you remember how you first heard of Betty Davis? Mm, how did I first hear about Betty Davis? The song. No, God help me. I mean, yes, but not like. It's it's the way like you know some famous person's name just through osmosis. You don't really know anything about them. Uh, I apologize to everybody who likes that song. I I just personally don't. And uh, it's not because the subject matter is Betty Davis. She's a knockout. She was a knockout in these sixty movies. Uh, that's a that's a good question. No. Betty Davis. Because I can't even tell you what the first movie I saw with her in it was. And I I went on a little Betty Davis trip uh, back, way back in the Hulu Criterion days. Hmm. So, I think the movie that at least got me into her was All About Eve. 
But, oh, she's in Return from Witch Mountain. Guess what? That's probably the first movie I saw her in. Oh, you know what? The first movie I saw her in might have been um, uh, Watcher in the Woods. Ooh. Which Disney has never released, but God, I love that movie. And there's this little contingent of millennials who, if you bring up that mm. movie, they'll be like, oh my God, that movie was great. So I've, someday I've Disney heard, will release it and we'll be vindicated. But until then, yeah, that might have been the first movie I saw her in, but there was no way that I had any consciousness of who she was then. Okay. I've heard legend of that movie for a long time, but it's one of those, when I, when I, when I really wanted to see it when I was younger, I was like, I could never find it. And I, I asked like my family members who had a shit ton of Disney movies, like, do you have this one? And they'd be like, that's not a Disney movie. You're making that up. <laughs> I mean, looking at the collection of old movies that Disney does have on the Disney uh, streaming thing, hmm. it some of those things I'm just like, this was a movie. And this yeah. is okay, oh, okay. Yeah, I know all of those terrible, like, and and not Watcher in the Woods. Yep, yes. exactly. Look at screenshots. It looks like Return to Oz a little bit. I mean, it's, are, as uh, far as I can remember, it's probably pretty formulaic. But uh, at the time, I was, you know, uh, a little baby, and you were like <laughs> a child. Like... No one stood up and said, "Child, what's wrong with you?" <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, uh, I guess to jump into it, jump into like the obvious stuff first watching baby jane it was just to me incredible just how influential it was how, how influential it is and it's, it's one of those things like when i watched rocky horror i suddenly realized how many things i've seen that reference rocky horror and when watching baby jane like i just realized i suddenly realized all the things i've seen that reference it and uh like one or uh like, like one big thing i thought of was um for baby Jane was uh, was like Argento, and I don't know if you like this is something about the vibe vibe of it reminds me of Deep Red to to some degree. And um, yeah, well, I can I can kind of see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah it's a good call. And um, and I want and then from there I'm thinking about like Deep Red influenced Saw, so in an in indirect way you could say Baby Jane led to Saw aesthetically. Sort kind of sort of. But, I mean, I think it does cast a very long shadow in American horror. <clears throat> yeah, and it's just, and also it's like because I'm I'm currently right right now writing a thing for Grumpire about how Psycho influenced, uh, well, phrase that the influence of Psycho on the baby and girly, and watching this like this is kind of and Baby Jane's kind of like an extension of Psycho, but like what if it was. I don't don't want to say campier, but uh, <laughs> bigger. Campier. <laughs> yeah, but like, but like, what psycho? But like, bigger, and it has, it has like the inner, like the psycho vibes down to just like the way it looks. It's um, it's black and white. The way it looks, it's mostly single location. It's centered on uh, a family. Uh. The whole theme of infantili- infantilization. You know, I uh, I've never gotten a chance to talk about Psycho on podcast, so I'm going to take yeah. this chance here and 
I think the reason, I mean, compare, let's compare whatever mm-hmm. happened to baby Jane and psycho, just like you did. Mm-hmm. I think the reason why psycho is scarier is because it is more like real life. I wouldn't say it's realistic, but you could, you could see the attitudes of the people. You could think about going to a hotel by yourself and how that feels, especially when you're in the middle of nowhere. I mean, no, nobody is going to experience a baby G situation. That's <laughs> probably not going to happen. I also don't want anyone to serve me roast rat or one of my pets that uh, was alive just a few hours ago. Uh, that was yeah. upsetting. It was. Although the thing that kind of throws it off into like campy direction is she's serving the animals on a plate full of um a thickly sliced tomatoes and oh, what do you the tomato slices just take me out of it a bit where it's like this is silly i, I mean, mean i just thought i thought of the ugh, those commercials for fancy feasts where they serve the the cat you know the the <laughs> canned cat food in a waterford crystal dish with parsley like no cat is gonna eat parsley come on like that's that's what it reminded me of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, yeah, can't... like she she went to go complete a meal just because the main course doesn't fit the rest of it. I mean, you know, she's not like a professional. I don't know why you're criticizing. Her. <laughs> okay, well, <laughs> I'm saying like it's just the ad like nice I, little summer salad. You know, she got that at the farmer's market. The tomatoes yeah. just looked really good that day. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, but. Uh... Okay, so like, oh, I, I can't remember. We're half an hour in, and I didn't even get to the main thing I want to get to. Um, these movies are directed by Robert Aldridge and written by Lucas Heller, who worked with Aldridge a whole lot. And the thing that blew me away with with like with the like the direction and like energy of these movies is when I think Robert Aldridge, I also go to like Kiss Me Deadly or um, uh. Uh, Dirty Dozen, like kind of more masculine movies, and like if like like if someone would have told me when I was like twenty that the guy who made Dirty Dozen made like made like the like the campy kind of queer um, coded uh, like uh, queer uh, um, Betty Davis from Crawford movie, I would have been like no, impossible, <laughs> but. Uh, yeah, like Robert Aldridge, like he's a he's a goddamn good director. I've started to wonder after I saw Kiss Me Deadly, I started looking at Robert Aldridge a little more seriously, and I'm thinking he might be one of the most underrated directors of the later 20th century. I'm just the more I see of his work, actually, hush hush, accepted. The more impressed I am. Uh, with how much he does with Shadow and Light. And that's part of why I was actually rankling a little bit at comparing him to Hitchcock, because what Hitchcock is doing in Psycho is different. Um, Yeah, very different. But yeah, between him and Richard Brooks, it's like these these dudes who just worked and worked and worked and worked, and all of their work is so much better than anyone gave it credit for at the time. Yeah, like Aldridge, like I haven't seen all his movies yet. But he's a guy. If I see a name pop up or hear someone talk about it, it's like, well, that's I have to see that now. Like that—that's on my, that's on my on my very long to watch list. 
because like so far I have not been locked down by Aldridge. Uh, J Dog, have you seen any Robert Aldridge movies? Oh yeah. Um, let me look real quick. I have seen. Besides the two we just watched, I've seen. You know what? I'm a goddamn liar. Huh? I haven't seen any other Robert Aldrich movies, but that's okay. Like, I mean, there's there's things on this list that I have in my watch list, and they have been for some time, including Kiss Me Deadly, and uh, what else was there? Sodom and Gomorrah, because I got to see what the hell that's about. <laughs> uh, Emperor of the North, I hear. Is yep, very Emperor of the North, I've heard. Yep, good things about. Dirty Dozen, I haven't seen, and even Longest Yard. Why not? He, he like he had a, such a variety of you know genre that he worked in. That's that's impressive because I feel like most people touch on him about maybe two or three if they have a long career. But it looks like he went all over the place except for sports movie. Oh wait, I already said yeah, yeah. Longest Yard. Never mind, um, you didn't at all. Yeah, Vera Cruz, which came up in the last one recorded on Perdita Durango. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so. Yeah. And like, okay, so, uh, Joel, what did you like about um, Baby Jane? We're going in uh, a chronological order. Well, I I love Betty Davis. I love Joan. Uh, why did I do that? Joan Crawford's uh, performances. Like, there was no hint of them not being the characters. Uh, like, who had the easier time? I would say Joan Crawford did in that case, but she also had to like. I don't know. I don't know. It's it's such not a. It feels like such not a serious movie in the sense mm-hmm. that it's. Just a tad silly, just a tad. That uh, I was surprised she could keep that straight face, and and you know when she's in pain and and all these other things like that. I I really appreciate that she could hold it for that. Like that's a good actor, good actress, whatever. Uh, Betty Davis, of course, like just fantastic. Right. <laughs> she's really good. I I. I don't. I mean, it seems like she might start to get typecast if, as the uh, slightly loony lady, older lady. But I don't know if this was the first of that bunch. It was. Yeah. This kicked off hagsploitation. I think that's the word I was just looking for. Yeah. Yeah. Just, I mean. I'm really bad at describing why I like an actor or an actress or their performances, and so I'll just say if you if you know, you know. Uh, so besides that, like I like the story, I like the way it unfolded. Like I knew almost nothing about it when I went in, so all the the cruelty and the whatever was going on when she decided she was going to try to resume her career things. That was all pleasant surprises. And the ending, which I did not know about. You could, uh, you got rope out of you there, so you did not know about the ending? I did not know about the ending. I did not know that she got two ice cream cones. How dare she? <laughs> 
I mean, I suppose I could spoil it because it's an old movie and hopefully you watched it if you're listening to this. So, yeah, uh, you know, I was waiting for a crazier twist than just like this kind of uh, torturous movie. Or, you know, I'm going to torture my sister while I'm going even more off my rocker. Uh, I, I am such a mental health expert. Let me just tell you. Uh, I mean, I think this movie is is a such that if we use the word crazy, it's not insulting. Like, it's not like calling a fashion trend crazy. You know, right. Baby Jane is freaking nuts. She's a complete nutball. And I'm not saying that because I'm denigrating her. I'm saying that because she's crazy. I mean, it's an adjective. Like, you know, it, it may mean a certain thing and has been used. I mean, I wouldn't call a person crazy. But the movie is a crazy movie. That can still yeah. happen. Yeah. Uh, so I, I just realized I'd seen... The first thing I would have seen Betty Davison was the TV movie Scream Pretty Peggy. I used to write for a website now where I, I review uh, horror TV stuff. I didn't know about that. No way, I did. Yes, the site does not exist anymore because something happened with the files or something. Some technical thing happened, so they don't do. So, yeah, everything got deleted, kind of. Anyway, yeah, so. Um, I, 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 Scream Pretty Peggy is a good uh, TV movie. We recommend it. Whoops. What? I just uh, spilled a little bit, that's all. Oh, okay. Alright, so, uh, like, yeah, it's, like, uh, it's hard to, like, this movie has such a big uh, legacy, but, like, I guess the biggest thing was just. I've always heard it, like the, like, the legacy of it is both, like, it's this big campy movie, but also, I don't hear, but it's not, but it's not in a way where it's like it's a bad movie, but no one, but I feel like, until recently, I, I started to, like, the, to research more, like, I didn't, not research, but when I started listening to the movie podcast and, and got more to talk to people who watch movies, um, that's my first time I heard people say this was movie was good instead of it was crazy. And, uh, yeah, and, uh, yes, yeah, so, like, I was generally surprised how much, like, just how good it was to some degree, because, like, it's kind of, yeah, because it has that weird, because it kind of rides that line, like, from what I've uh, come across of, like, uh, of like it's so bad, it's good to to some, because uh, like I feel like I don't know how much I'm trying to say this, but because of, of the tone of the movie is what it is, I think it 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 makes uh like because the tone is what it is, it makes like the legacy of it and the way certain people look at it as like you can't take a movie that's like this unhinged seriously. So therefore, it must be bad, but like it's clearly by design, and uh, like th- thoughtful of what and all of every choice it's making. I mean, unhinged movies. Uh, uh, how how do you determine? Yeah, I don't know. Perf- performance unhinged. Yeah. Yes. But you're saying that 
Um, are, are you saying that you think that people that treat it like that are misunderstanding? Yes. Okay. So because it's not like Tommy Wiseau, you know, no. like, oh, I meant for it to be a Tommy the whole time. Oh, no, 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 like, no, no. The tone of this movie is very carefully managed. Yep. Yeah, because, like, there's, like, I love, well, actually, I really like the movie Showgirls. I see its problems. But, like, it's a Paul Verhoeven movie. If you've seen RoboCop, if you've seen his other movies, it's it fits into that tone. And I I, I don't think it's his worst movie by any stretch. But it's but it has a reputation of being it's so stupid it's brilliant but it's actually it's Paul Verhoeven like if you've seen his other movies then you, then like you then like you'll understand like what he's doing tonally the movie is. Well, like, Americans that, that, are very very bad at understanding satire and we're especially bad at understanding sexual satire so that's the the tone of that is. It's our fault that we didn't get it, not not Verhoeven's, but it's yeah. also his fault for making a movie like that in America instead of Europe. Um, but I think what you might be dancing around is the question of whether campiness and a bad movie are necessarily linked with each other, whether a movie that can be camp that is unabashedly campy is necessarily bad. Yeah, like I personally don't believe that. But it's also the, such a, uh, it's a very specific flavor that is hard to, uh, the thing is hard to sell to like a mass audience. And yet this movie was a giant hit. Yeah. Yeah, but, because uh, I, because I, this was like marketed as like the, the, the big return of these two quote-unquote aging actresses even though they were like in their 50s but like you know according to you know hollywood standards they're they're ancient but uh um okay i just lost my train of thought there but uh just like the way it's the where is it where is it yeah the, the way like i was just surprised at how like like this how symmetric how like how it's structured and how symmetrical it is, because like you it it opens with the ice cream motif and then ends on ice cream and I and like this whenever I see like the opening and ending matching in that way like that 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 for me is like is sets off my brain it's like it just feels like it feels good to see it's like yes it it went full circle it and uh yeah it's like I don't know like so much it's just so. Like, I don't understand how this movie turned out the way it did, because it feels like at any, like, in, like the one wrong choice, it could have just turned to a complete disaster. I would agree with that. But thankfully it didn't make any, I mean, I don't think it made very many wrong choices. No. But, um, J-Dog, what, what did, like... What did you think of the filmmaking of, of this? Filmmaking? Yeah. Like camera work? Camera work, you know, story stuff, set design? Yeah, it was okay. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I, like, I was just thinking about this before we started the podcast. It was like, oh, I might have to talk about cinematography, which, I don't know, I get so... If the movie's good, I get so into it, I don't 
you know, the cinematography just feels natural. So it's hard for me to remember unless I watch it more than once. Uh, obviously, I can't complain about set designs, and I definitely can't complain about any of the, you know, uh, well, that is set designs. So I can't complain yes. about the set designs. <laughs> Story is, uh, well, like I said, I like that thing at the end. It's, it's not like a, the best story I've ever heard mm-hmm. or anything like that, but I like it. Well, uh, Wackley, I don't know your, like, if you like campier stuff or not. Like, do you like, like, kind of like, 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 quote, unquote, like campy movies, TV, whatever, stuff like that? Give me an example. Like, um, I've heard of what you've seen. Yeah, Cat, let's go with that. I like, don't what know. What do you think of of cabaret? Is it over the top? Is it interesting? Um, uh, I don't know exactly why I thought this, but I I did not like the movie. Uh, I, I, it had more to do with um, who's the male lead? Uh, Michael York. Michael York's performance, for some reason, did just felt. I don't know. It felt like a character that didn't belong in the movie in a way. And I know that the story was like radically changed from the original. Okay. So what did you think about, um, the, the, uh, the MC and his performances and the songs and, and Liza and all of that? Drawing a blink. I really am. Have you seen book of Mormon? No. Okay, um, John Waters. Oh, I, I like. Can I, I don't you see? Yeah, um, I mean, I, I like a s- select ones for sure. Like, like I, 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 I like, like Crybaby. Mm-hmm. I don't yeah. think Crybaby. Like Crybaby, I like Hairspray. I like um, what else? Like, what else? Do you do you like? Do you aesthetically like the like how they're like the over top like ridiculous uh, um like tone of it i mean that doesn't bother me no i watch anime oh okay fair <laughs> <laughs> okay so no, i mean it's yeah I, I like campy um i'm less i'm very reluctant about comedy but that you know they go hand in hand so if it's campy on purpose yeah i enjoy it ironically campy you know not not i'm not really a big fan of that okay all right, so uh, what do you call Baby Jane and Sweet Char- uh, Sweet Charlotte Campy? Maybe on the like loosest, meaningful viewing of this movie, because <laughs> no, no, I don't think it's Campy. I, uh, you know, I know they're both. I mean, say J- Joan Crawford's going for the big performance. That that's not really true. She's just playing her part extremely well but I know you know uh, I was about to say Susan Sarandon Betty Davis uh, campy is not what I felt either like hmm. I don't know I mean I think that what Betty Davis is doing in this part rides the line between 
grotesque and camp. And at the time it was closer to grotesque because of, uh, you know, I'm not going to say camp hadn't been invented yet, but it kind of wasn't an idea that anyone could go for on purpose. So the, the grotesquery of it is very serious, even while it could tip over the line into being funny, depending on the mood that you're in when you approach it and, you know, whatever else you've seen in your life. And the way that her grotesquery tips over into violence to me robs the film of camp Mm. but also i think of this movie as a melodrama and because melodrama isn't a very popular genre to talk about at the present uh cultural moment i feel like it's it's underestimated as a melodrama but that's primarily how i see it a melodrama that has elements of horror in it so you can see it as camp if you choose to. And also, you know, sh- her performance and her makeup have extraordinary camp value, but that evaporates as soon as you, you know, lift the the silver lid and you see the bird there. I mean, it's it's horrible. <laughs> it's, it's horror, it tips over. Yeah, and I won't clarify. I don't like, like, I, 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 I it's like, I don't see it as pure camp either. It, I, the elements are kind of there if like if you want to be it's but if you want to be there but uh like like you were saying like the <laughs> the, the melodrama really takes over and it, it quickly t- it tips into it it, it quickly, quickly tips into like this is not what you expect it to be uh, I mean, the, the campiest part in my opinion is the you know edwin and his mom his mom yeah. going full accent and then him joking with his mom that or like not joking with his mom but he's irritated jokes come from that part but uh what is your opinion of both of you uh victor bono's performance in this movie oh god well my my gut reaction to that character being introduced at all was i just kind of assumed he was uh a closeted gay man. I can't even pinpoint what it is, what it was exactly, but it just like it, I don't know. Sometimes I just res, because uh, like because like, when he starts, you know the uh, the the business relationship thing with um, uh, Jane, it felt like I listened to horror queers uh, at, uh, earlier today. And they were, and one of them brought up that like, they read that character as also as queer and like, and he, and he has like his, like like the diva that he idolizes kind of and, I, I kind of like I don't see it that exactly, but it's something about Trez like, where are we going with this? Uh. So I think he is queer coded just because he's yeah. got this relationship with his mother, and I, I, I'm I'm very sorry to say it this way mm-hmm. in this year of our Lord, but he's kind of soft and disgusting, and I think that that's kind of intended to be queer coded for the time, and mm-hmm. like he's arrested also, which you know all this stuff is negative, and I hate saying it that way, but I think that was intentional. Because oh, the actor in real life was. What was a queer man? I don't know. Uh, I think like later in life he he was out, but like I know apparently he was in real life. But uh, yeah, like and like 
and the, the whole like mother son thing there felt like psycho a little bit uh, you, you want want to know what character uh, I was reminded of based on his character in this movie uh, who uh, Francis from Pee Wee's Hermans it's a great comparison I love it Hmm. Uh, I haven't seen that movie since I was a kid. I saw it uh, when I was like probably four or five. And, and the perfect age. And uh, it scared me so much I never watched anything with Paul Rubens in it for like probably like 20 years. 15, 20 years. He strikes me as somebody you would like. Yeah, but he's like, campy. Yeah, but uh, the large oh, Marge in a clown scene, <laughs> clown, yeah, clown scene, surgery. scared me so much as a four-year-old. I just never, like, I just didn't want to watch Pee Wee's Playhouse because, like, no, 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 that's the guy with the scary clowns. I'm not watching that. Yeah. So you didn't see the episode where he married a salad? He had just made it the salad <laughs> bar. Uh, no. Oh, okay. He did. Yep. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. So, uh, uh, so like the yeah, Edwin and his mom stuff. Like that feels like if if I were to cut out anything out out, out of the movie because like both movies are uh, two uh, two half hours roughly, and the Edwin thing, I don't say it goes on too long because you get enough. But, like, it feels like it could have been compacted just a little bit more, a little more condensed. But I... I, 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 uh, What? It it might have functioned as kind of a break. Like, it's a very claustrophobic movie in terms of spending the whole movie in in this house with these two sisters. To the point where, you know, towards the end... Well, not towards the end, but when you... um, When there's that moment the daughter is outside listening to music and um, Blanche is trying to get her attention, you know, out there in the sun seems so pleasant compared to what we're seeing inside the house. So I feel like even if we're going to another horrible house, it's still like a break from Mm, this awful situation. Okay. Yeah. I I get what you mean there. Cause like the, the run usually runtime doesn't, I don't notice, but this time towards the end, maybe I was watching too late, but like maybe like past way, past halfway point, I just kind of got to a point of like, it felt a little drawn out, but also I think I just might have been tired, but I'm not really sure. Sweet Charlotte feels long to me. Oh, for me, that one flew by, but also I watched it earlier in the day, so that might be why. Uh, I just felt like there was a lot of back and forth. Like the, I don't know if we're ready to move on to it, but it felt like kind of going up and down and up and down and up and down instead of Baby Jane felt like this sort of gradual escalation and increasing desperation. And, you know, Charlotte was just like, here we have a hysterical scene and then we have a calm scene and then we have a betrayal scene. And it's just, it felt like it was going in circles and I was ready mm -hmm. for it to be over long before it was. 
Yeah, yeah, I, I get that, actually. Yeah, that makes sense. I get that. Actually, both movies fit into this category, so I'll get into it in a, in a bit. But, uh, one thing that, uh, like, that I, that this movie does that reminds me of, uh, uh, one of my favorite movies of all time is, uh, it, there's a scene similar to, um, a scene in uh, Sword of Doom, the Nakadai movie from 66, when Jane is having, like, a breakdown and she's doing her, uh, um, old routine and she goes into a spotlight and, like, that is very similar to, uh, uh, in, uh, Sword, uh, Sword of Doom where Nakadai at one point has a spotlight before he freaks out at a, a key moment in the movie and he like does like a it's it, 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 he does like a little like almost like like the, like theatrical performance before like everything goes crazy and it's in baby jane kind of a similar moment of when jane go, walks into the spotlight from the darkness and then sees herself and like has a freak out and like that and like and from that point like it felt like that was like one of the trigger points of like okay now we're going uh, now, now we're getting like a little more crazy. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's an upsetting moment from uh, feminist film study because, like, part of the part of the point of this movie is that women aging are horrifying, yeah. and yeah. you know the the horror and the grotesquerie of this movie comes from Jane being older than women are really allowed to be in American society. And like, I know that she's also crazy and the makeup is over the top and so on, but like that, that inner point, which went on to be a trend in sixties filmmaking, um, is troubling. (laughs) So that's, and that's a moment that's like a pivotal (sighs) moment in the movie where that's true. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's it's like like I like some hacks worth the exploitation things like Straight Jacket, and uh, some of the William Castle ones. I can't remember. I think a few of them, and like the baby counts because Ruth uh, Ruth Roman is um, the quote unquote hag in that movie. Uh, she was in Strangers on, Strangers on a Train, I think was her big movie, but she never came like a. She was supposed to be become a bigger star, but that. Never quite happened for oh, her. Oh yeah, God, I always forget about her character because she's so incredible. <laughs> Sorry. No, she's great in the baby, but I've I try to watch her other stuff, and it's like she, she she's not that interesting <laughs> compared to other actresses. That, uh, in the baby, she's great because she gets to play a monster, but that's the reason she's great. <laughs> that, um. Yeah, but like uh yeah the like the, the hag point hag part of hag quotation is. It's to me kind of str- it's it's a it's a double edged sword of it's yes you're giving these you know these quote unquote old actresses uh, parts and they get to star in movies again but there's the other part of like you know like like you're saying with the baby Jane seen, in the mirror seeing herself and it's like oh they're old and ugly and monstrous and it's like this is it, it, it's it's exploitive and it's kind of right in that line of uh, uh, th- th- of like, is this is this okay? Yeah, there was a an article about uh, Shyamalan's old that was like, 
uh, and I didn't see the film, so I don't know how true this is, but the, the Shyamalan knows that what's horrifying is women who are old. <laughs> and, <laughs> like, that's sort of... I, I know there's a lot more dimensions to age in that movie than just that, but I, I thought it was a well-made point nonetheless. Yeah. And that's all... It, it's important to point out, since this is a podcast focused on Emotivar, Emotivar is the opposite. And, um... If you like, if you watch his movies from like the beginning to end, you see he reuses the same actresses, and you get to see this is crazy. Uh, but he get he, he uses actresses who are over seventy to star in movies, and it's like, oh yeah, women can just be older, and it's just, and it's totally fine. And like Hollywood still is like, and eh, do we have to give them parts with dignity anymore after forty? <laughs> But uh, yeah, uh, I think that I want to get that out there. Um, yeah, okay. So I I, I, I want to get to this. So uh, Baby Jane is like considered like a a queer classic. So um, like it has like a very queer legacy, and what uh, I'm not hundred sure why it does precisely. Because like. Uh, it's it's seemingly just like a Hollywood movie of the time with two, like golden age actresses. But like, uh, well, C- Catherine, can you like do you, do you have more insight into like why Baby Jane like became such a like a part of queer cinema? I mean, the only thing I can think of is that her appearance is basically drag, and that's an interesting thing to see on screen. Um, there's also this sexlessness to the movie that um, seems to come up in a lot of camp classics. Like I'm thinking about uh, Mommy Dearest and how that has, um, in the, by the same token, this sort of grotesque woman who's very, very much in drag the whole time. Uh, and there's also all these elements of performance, but. I think that my friend Kyle Turner has written about it for his book about queer cinema, so I'm going to look that up, and you two talk amongst yourselves, because I will see if, if he's got an entry on it. Okay. Okay, uh, J-Dog, do you consider this movie to be gothic? I mean, yeah, why not? <laughs> I don't know. Because, I, like, um, I mean... It feels that way, yeah. Okay. I was trying to like pinpoint, uh, like why it feels gothic exactly. Because like, yeah, it's which one are you like, talking about? Um, both of them actually are kind of gothic, but yep. Baby Jane specifically feels like a variation of like a um, like not just a hammer horror, but feels like instead of it being like a European castle and uh. Or whatever, it's Hollywood. It's kind of transposing that uh, type of story. I, yeah, I, I mean, it, it feels like it feels like something like Jane Irish for some reason. Uh, like you could see two sisters living together, and one torturing the other, blaming them for what have you. The sexlessness of it bothers me though mm-hmm. 
because in both movies, the older ladies just naturally they're single. But, and like Charlotte, I understand in a, a bit of a way, I guess. Mm. She doesn't have anyone looking over there, but you know, um, I guess we're supposed to assume that that Blanche never started a relationship because she was so guilty and wanted to make sure Jane was good. Yeah, and Jane seems like she doesn't even care about sex at all. I mean, I think she's arrested, and I think there's also an implication of um, father-childhood sexual abuse there Mm -hmm. uh, with, with Jane. Not necessarily with Blanche, which kind of fucked upedly ties into their jealousy uh, for each other. So, um, I was mistaken. He does not write specifically about Baby Jane, but he does call Baby Jane and Hush Hush Sweet Charlotte camp classics because the same team of Robert Aldrich and Lucas Heller made a movie called The Killing of Sister George in 1968, which um, he does say is... uh, part of queer cinema so there you go okay yeah uh all right is there anything else gothic um no not really oh uh, it's kind of like uh, there's a citizen kane vibe to it and not just because when you're right wrong movie like it feels kind of like citizen kane uh uh I can't remember why I even put that note down. Is it because of the deep focus and how the blacks are really, really, really black? Like, the darkness of shadowed rooms in this movie does hmm. resemble Kane in that way. Maybe. Yeah, I don't know why I wrote on this in Kane. I might have typed down. But, uh... Oh, and, uh... I always say it's with ghoulish makeup, but the makeup uh, is similar to the Kurosawa makeup in uh, in uh, Derdeska Den, his first color movie and in um, in Ran. I think Kagamusha has like a ghoulish makeup in it too. I can't remember. Yeah, and also Kurosawa was a big cinephile so uh, I'm I'm sure he watched Baby Jane. Cause like, Wouldn't he have been calling on Kabuki instead? Well, yeah, that too. But there's a list of like his favorite movies from every year from like 1950 or so, mm. and he watched like a lot of American movies and I, and I like uh like the reason he found out um, Fistful of Dollars uh ripped him off was because he was in a theater and he watched the movie. Because he is, would watch, watch, watch any, pretty much any movie he could watch. Oh, what was it? Uh, there was like like Midnight Cowboy was like his favorite movie from that year. So like he kept up with American Hollywood stuff. Anyway, uh, yeah. So Hush Hush. It was the spiritual sequel, kind of, sort of. Because like uh, going like. Doing a double feature of these two, um, my my first reaction was like, this is kind of the same plot. Losing the house, Betty Davis is unhinged. Uh, you have a supportive maid character, 
it's it's using a lot of the same parts. Well, the source material, uh, whatever happened to Baby Jane, was a novel, and whatever happened to Cousin Charlotte was a short story, both written by the same author. So, I mean, blame him for not being imaginative. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, I know the the movie was supposed to be called originally called Whatever Happened to Cousin Charlotte, but uh. Betty Davis was producer on it on Hush Hush, and she was like, uh, "Nope, we're not gonna, we're not gonna do that." Yeah. Don't I would not. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean that's pretty good. Uh, yeah. Reason to uh, spiritual sequel. Yeah. Ooh, yeah, my yeah, and uh, yeah, so Hush Hush, like I said earlier, like. I kind of loved it. I didn't know what to expect going into it. It was just like a, uh, like like seeing like Agnes Moorhead and Bruce Dern and uh, a William Marshall who is uh, Blackula, and he's a king of cartoons on Pee Wee's Playhouse. That's a, probably the most famous thing for a certain generation. Um, Lawrence Fishburne was also uh, a cowboy on there. Yeah. Do you know why? Um, he ended up on a, in um, a school days, because uh, he he ran to Spike Lee on on set, or Spike Lee was like on, uh, on near the set of Pee Wee's Playhouse, and they kind of knew each other, and Fishburne told them, "I can't keep doing this shit. I want to do something <laughs> that's not for kids," and so um he that's so that's how school days kind of happened because Spike was Spike was looking for someone for school days. I see. Yeah. Uh, Ellie made a great, you know, great coincidence. Great choice. Yeah. Hey, uh, yeah, so, uh, yeah. Oh, oh. Catherine, you want to say something? Yeah, I was just going to say, like, the, the Southern Gothic is much stronger here because, um, I mean, part of what's interesting to me about Baby Jane is the tension between old worlds and new worlds and how you know, you've got this vaudeville star and then this, you know, 30s Hollywood star and then, you know, they're in the 60s now and kids are using transistor radios and all is all is lost. But this is much more of a, like, one very f- mythical time period uh, placed against the current sort of not very well-defined time period. So it's much closer to Southern Gothic than... Um, a very specific time and place. Yeah, uh, I, I I do like the clash of. It feels like a fairy tale almost at, at points. Yeah. Or it has like definitely the parts of a fairy tale, and then you have like you know the real world stuff and. Uh, yeah, I like how that mixes. But uh, like the first thing I want to bring up is that. I was surprised how, not racist movie is it still has <laughs> elements of it but i was surprised as how um how how yeah, this not racist it was because like in the in the way it opened before you see bruce dern and the dad who i think is victor uh what's this guy's name didn't write it down edwin i think that's him right is the dad don't know oh yeah Vic, no victor buono yes yeah he's the dad Okay. God, is he really? Yeah. Oof. Oh, he looks exactly. 
<laughs> that's, that's, that's why I asked about him in the first one. I wanted to say in this, I wanted to ask the same question. What do you think about his acting in this one? It's super fucked up. Um, I think, oh, I feel like he gets more to do here in Hush Hush, but, uh, I don't know, uh, I like the Edwin character a little bit more, the dad character is kind of, like, it, it felt like a weak part of a story to me, but I'm not sure why, but, uh, yeah, like, he's very stereotypical, he's like, he walked right out of Cat on a Hot Tin Roof, and, <laughs> like, I'm not... I don't care. Like, I, I, Edwin is weird, and I'm much more interested in a character that I haven't seen before than a than a character that I've seen 800 times. Oh, yeah. 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 And uh, like, like so the, the whole when he's chewing out Bruce Dern, and he's saying like, um, "My daughter can't be caught with someone. He would be better if she was caught with one of the servants." And the whole time, like, does is is, is she did she have a affair with a black man? Where's this going? And then, you, and then I saw Bruce Stern. I was like, "Oh, thank God! <laughs> it's just, it's just Bruce Stern." Don't worry, honey. It's just Bruce Stern. I mean, like, yeah, just the voice is like, "Oh, it's him." Okay, we're, uh, it's it's not going to be that bad. But uh, I mean, this is pre Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, so I don't know that that would have happened. Uh, yeah, this what sixty four. So I think. Uh, Lilies in the Field had come out by that point, I think. Uh, yeah, that's the movie that Cindy Poitier won. I think is only Oscar for mm. a movie that I don't love. It's definitely dated and of its time. It's it's like a, it's very much a like this is Hollywood being progressive about mm-hmm. black people for 1963. <laughs> There's yeah the um, Mark Harris wrote this wonderful book about the year 1967 in Hollywood called Pictures of a Revolution, and in it he he does some work to trace the career of Sidney Poitier up to Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, which came out that year, and um, he has just the funniest, most cutting <laughs> things to say about the parts that not not uh, that Poitier was making bad decisions, but just that like he had to keep playing these ridiculous saintly characters and in these in these pieces of goo and people just ate it up and the movies that did really well were the movies where he was playing these ridiculous parts and the movies where he was actually doing good work were like you know not as big of hits it's really excellent book highly recommended yeah i mean he's you know in He's always like in the in like the like because he's some dinner stuff. He's playing a well-spoken, respectable black man, and it's like, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, I, I've heard that shit. Uh, I've I've been told that in my life that I'm well-spoken. It's like, oh, I know what that's code for, and uh, I don't like mm-hmm. you anymore. <laughs> mm-hmm. Exactly. Uh, Joel, I'm sure you've probably heard stuff like that too, or been told that. I mean. You know, and almost no, I'm I'm fairly light skinned, so I can't say I've had it like that. No, no. Sorry. Oh, okay. We didn't. You never got. Well, or maybe that's specifically a black thing being told. You're well spoken, or like, or yeah, whatever. No, I, yeah, I have no idea. I mean, oh, okay. I've I've heard people say that, and I've also. <clears throat> I mean, my parents were quite racist, and they did say that from time to time about people like Ward Connerly, so. 
Go figure. Yeah, it's the whatever. But we had we had a whole season on Spike Lee. We got into racial stuff there a lot. Um, <laughs> Hold on, I don't remember that. Yeah, I mean, oh, I mean like, Spike Lee's never said or done anything that rubbed anyone the wrong way. He's always yeah, that's been. True. Never. Totally He's always. <laughs> And he's also yep. very tall. <laughs> Ow. <laughs> yeah, just, okay. Just going straight for the red he, will never, he will never hear this. <laughs> if he Spike, you know what? I like you. I don't I don't care if Spencer hates you, which you know he obviously does. I you know, I like you just <laughs> But and the Lakers are the best. Your special exhibit in um, the Academy Museum recently was the very best exhibit in the whole museum. Just to say that, Spike. Mm-hmm. So I totally you know what she's talking about. <laughs> yeah, anyway, yeah. So yeah, hush, hush. Get back. We're going to get back to that. Yeah, uh, so, uh, J Dog, did you like Hush Hush? Uh, I didn't like it as much as Baby Jane. I I did still like it. it um, you know, going on my ADHD scale, I mm-hmm. I watched half of it last night, and then I watched the rest of it today, and that's kind of a like a uh, all right. There must be some things that I've just was getting slightly bored with, and I'm not exactly sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, a lot of exciting things happen in the movie. So, uh, I mean, a lot of it. It just, I, I'm, I'm really sorry to to uh-huh. not to cast shade on this movie, but I felt like it did cat scare versions where, um, many, not all, of Baby Jane's scares were much more emotionally earned, and. Mm. I also just felt that, you know, Betty Davis was going on and on and ranting and raving and, and being crazy, but it was not as uh, convincing, you know? It felt yeah. like she was having hysterics as opposed to genuinely being unstable. Yeah. Huh. No, I understand that. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's fine to criticize this movie. Like, I, I, like, I, like, when I, I did a quick, like, search of, like, do people like this movie? Like, I realize oh, I'm in the minority of liking it more than Baby Jane, but as I said earlier, like, Baby Jane has that problem of it was kind of hyped up a little too much. Mm. And, uh, yeah, so, like, uh, it didn't fully live up to, like, everything that I've ever heard about it. But, yeah, uh, but I think for me, is this this the surprise of this is Southern Gothic? It, this I, I don't know. Like, I didn't mind how repetitive it was. Like it, it felt closer to like Edgar Allan Poe mixed with like Night of the Hunter type of vibe. Well, Night of the Hunter only in a couple of key parts, but like this felt like w- w- uh, taking the Baby Jane formula, but ch- but shifting it to uh, um, like fall how fall of the house of usher kind of sort of and like mm-hmm. I don't know and also this in general I like stories set in the south and it's just something that I've always really appreciated. 
I think, I'm not sure maybe, I'm not really sure why, maybe because my West Virginia family, I always, I grew up visiting a lot, so maybe it's like seeing stuff that, uh, and I know Louisiana is different, is far from West Virginia, but like this, having the, like the Southern setting is just something that in general I will give a little more leeway to because like I just find it more appealing. Hmm. There's a chance you could choke down Jezebel. I mean, it's it's hard. I mean, I've written... Uh, I have a couple articles I've never been published that I'm still trying to work on, on, like, history of blackface. So I've seen... Well, it's you not, know, like... So, oh. not, to, not to divert too much, but the, the issue is that... Um, like, the scene that I remember very distinctly is that... Um, so Betty Davis is a Southern Belle, and part of what's interesting about this movie is that she was gunning for Scarlett O'Hara and didn't get it, and so uh, she made this movie where she plays a Southern Belle in, you know, love and distress and so on, uh, the same year. So um, <sighs> there's a scene where she goes out to a porch she's just had an argument with her lover and she goes out to the porch and she gathers all of the enslaved people around her and forces them to sing while she's singing Mm -hmm. and like she is giving like i said she's giving the performance of a lifetime her eyes look like they are gonna set the celluloid on fire and it's glorious but at the same time i'm like don't do that that is not you're treating people like props not just the actress is treating people like props, but so is the movie, and that's not okay. And uh, stuff like that throughout the movie. Like, it's not backyard musical blackface stuff. It's just okay. assuming that everyone watching is going to be okay with the way that people of color are treated. And it's it's very hard. Uh, and if you can, like... There are times when I have to turn off being a female person when I'm watching movies. Mm-hmm. And so, like, I don't know if it's possible for you to to turn off how you feel about being a person of color, but that's kind of the only way that I can even think of anyone enjoying Jezebel. Oh, okay. Because yeah, I have a short list of movies of, like, these are, like, the problematic racist Hollywood movies where it's, like, I kind of feel a need to watch them just for like, just to see, just like for, for research and be like, I, I, cause I'm kind of trying to do like a bigger thing on like Mitchell C and that type of stuff. And mm-hmm. it's, I've been working off and on for a number of years cause it's just kind of, it gets sometimes I reach a point where I, I, I'm like, I've seen too much just racist shit. I need to take a break for a while. Totally. Yeah. I get that way about exploitation movies. I'm just like, I've seen enough dead female bodies. Like, I need a break. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, um, yeah. Back to um, uh, hush hush. Like one, like uh, one detail that I really appreciated is that the help character, the the supporting like maid character, that that gets killed off was not the only black person who's like, yeah. who who gets something to do. Because like in 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 Baby Jane, uh, Elvira is the maid, and she's she's black. But all it, also it never really comes up in Baby Jane. And yeah, I, I never I never. Oh. She's she's not like a caricature, which is nice. But she does get killed, which is not great. Yeah, and like there's, 
And the whole time I was expecting, like, well, Jane's going to be racist, right? So, like, something's going to come up, and it's like, oh, they, it's like, oh, she's just a person. She's the help, mm-hmm. but she's still just a person. Mm-hmm. But, I, but I like having the twist of, even though it's kind of ridiculous, of, like, this this old, basically this old, plant, old plantation house, and the help is an old white woman, and it's like, that seems kind of silly, but, um... <laughs> But I'm okay with that silly choice. You know, so I get, you, they get to get, you know, Agus Moorhead got a chance to, you know, uh, you know, uh, do her, do her thing. So that's yeah. always good. She brought it. All right. And, oh. Uh, Joel, what do you think of um, Agnes Moorhead? Or do you not have preconceived notions about her? <laughs> Um, well, I, I didn't, yeah, I don't, I didn't really, I didn't realize that she was somebody I'd seen before in other things. Like, it felt like she was playing a character, which is, you know, of course, that's what she was doing. But in a way that, like, a stage play would have that character, kind of, I feel like, as opposed to what they typically do on film. But it, like it was campy, the movie like this movie's campy to me. Yeah. Uh, so she was like a pretty good reason to like not suspect Miriam. Also, I like she, the way she sounds all grouchy, the the way she says like um, no thanks or blah blah to me, and uh, somebody at one point says that Velma's very loyal to Charlotte, it makes you think, oh, if she was around when she, that, when uh, Charlotte was that age, maybe she killed the guy or something. <laughs> I never thought of that. I like it. Yeah. So, I like it. Okay. I won't have her replaced. Oh, alright. Yeah, and, uh, is it? yeah, so like, like, my only main issue is an issue I have with uh, like this is kind of a costume drama a little bit, but there are two older white men in the movie. One of them is Joseph Cotton, and I had trouble telling them apart because I, I don't think I've ever seen Joseph Cotton in anything. Oh golly! Really? Don't watch enough westerns, buddy. <laughs> no, I guess not. But uh, <laughs> the whole time I was like, because uh, there's the older white guy and there's the white guy who's not as old and I was was never quite sure who was who I don't think I know what you're talking about but uh, you're saying you thought he might be the, the British reporter yes and okay. until I heard until I heard the voice I was never 100% that's insane <laughs> yes I know they look but... completely different <laughs> one, one of them is Joseph, Co- Joseph Cotton the other one is not yeah, I don't. I, I don't think I've ever seen Joseph Cotton in anything before. Well, you know, he was a, a star at some point, right? I, I know the name. Okay, well, but I guess that doesn't necessarily it. mean. I mean, he was a handsome leading man who was also used very well to uh, mislead you <laughs> into. What, what's that called? Uh, misdirection. Yeah. Misdirection. Yeah, he's or, very good at, um, to use for the purpose of misdirection. 
So, like, the first movie I remember seeing Joseph Cotton in was Shadow of a Doubt. Yeah. And I was like, who the, who the fuck is this guy? I guess I never heard of that before. Like, okay. And then now I realize I've seen him in a lot of stuff. Believe it or not, the first movie I saw him in was Soylent Green, which, you know, is a bit past his prime. And mm-hmm. he's in it for one scene, and then he gets murdered. Uh, yeah. But it's like the craggy in that movie is very strong and he's part of it Hmm. like chuck connors is in that movie too and charlton huston is the lead and it was edward g robinson's last film so it's like there's just a lot going on there and this movie and hush hush is mary astor's final film oh mary astor i was expecting Sorry, there was a, this is a source of contention between me and my husband because uh, he really likes her in um, Maltese Falcon, and I freaking hate her in Maltese Falcon. And um, so, this is like a household joke how much I dislike Mary Astor. And I thought I, I actually liked her in this. I thought she was good and and struck just the right note. And instead of being this sort of high and mighty, nose in the air bullshit woman that no one likes, how could anyone like her? Um, she's actually sort of great and warm uh yeah and i should say i've never seen Maltese falcon it's a movie that uh, i'll be honest i don't want to watch it because that book is one of my favorite books of all time and i first read it when i was like probably like oh i I saw the movie brick when i was like 15 and i read ryan johnson loved dashwell hammond and and used him as an inspiration so i was like i gotta read dashwell hammond now and so, um, Mousy's Falcon is like a book I read probably like every five years, and every time I'm like, yeah, this is, and like I, my I, my love of it is so uh, personal. I kind of never want to see it adapted. <laughs> if you know what I mean. You know, you you didn't hear this from me, okay? But you can just watch The Big Sleep instead and let it go. Okay. Like. That's my opinion because I, I don't I don't love that movie, even though I'm definitely supposed to. But Joel, I'm ready to hear a dissent. <laughs> How dare you? No, I don't. Uh, um, yeah. I've been told by some people like if you love the book, you really see the movie. But I I just can't like I can't I can't point to words as to how much that book means to me. I so I also prefer The Big Sleep to Maltese Falcon. Oh, thank God. Okay. Thank God, a sane person. <laughs> Wasn't that uh, John Huston's first movie he he directed? I don't know if it was his first one, but he did indeed direct it. Okay. Uh, let's see. Oh, oh. Okay. Yeah. Uh, okay. So it was forty-one. So very, very, very possibly. <coughs> okay. Yeah, that might have been a movie my grandma would have snuck off to see. Because her, her mom was very religious and was like, uh, music and dancing is sinful, and movies are sinful, and don't and do not do that. But my grandma was the type of girl who would run off with a boy for a couple days, and yeah, she, she was... And then she would she, cut his head off and leave it in the <laughs> Yeah, she was a, a firecracker when she was younger. Um, okay, so, so the, like, like the stuff I want to get into was... There's recurring motifs of family portraits 
and specifically uh, uh, a key scene of of setting up like the the plot and like the backstory and in, and in both movies there's always a shot of someone standing in front of the family portrait of someone uh and while while they while they are just talking about like uh, some important backstory element yeah i didn't write down specifically but i wrote down like family portraits and like come uh, are all are visible in key scenes uh other one was um both are very much based in like the whole like selling the house thing and like getting rid of the house and uh actually or if i know it's better um and both of them be uh end and be begin begin and end on a similar on the same thing where um hush hush in the beginning she tries to uh, push the big flower pot on george kennedy Mm-hmm. And then ends with her pushing a flower pot on some uh, on um uh uh Marion. Yeah, Olivia de Havilland and Jess Cotton. And check check off second. Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> check off gigantic flower pot. I feel like she didn't actually want to hurt George Kennedy. She just like did it to get his attention. But oh, yeah. she definitely saw it the the second time she saw it as a weapon. I mean, George Kennedy. No one wants to hurt that 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 cuddly man. He's a big old teddy bear. <laughs> uh, sorry. I mean, he played rough parts, but I'm sure he was like a just like genuinely like a a nice down earth dude. Well, I I know him best from the Naked Gun movies. You know, <laughs> if I have to admit which ones I've seen most, I just I've always liked him from those movies. So when I was like, oh, he was kind of. He was kind of a big deal back in the day. It was pretty surprising. The the second thing I knew him best from was for these like garlic commercials. It's uh-huh. like now I can eat garlic because I took this pill. I've yeah. seen him in some real dogs from the from the eighties. So Ooh. I don't I don't have such a high opinion, but um, <laughs> I did like him in the huh. airport movies. Hmm. Uh. Okay, and some other stuff was like the evil of money comes up because like the big crux of both movies is centered around someone trying to get money or like money is involved in in it and uh, family drama is this yeah and I I brought this up before but like with with, uh, Ozu movies and uh, Amorovar movies if you kind of describe a bunch of them back to back it sounds like the same movie over and over again, but but uh, Amodovar and Ozu understand what elements to shift and change around, and what makes you know stories special and unique. And Hush Hush does like does just enough for me, just enough to like to uh, to change a formula up to change a formula so that like so it sticks out. But it, it but like you're said uh catherine earlier like it's the same uh same writer behind the source material so like it is it, playing with all this uh, with all the same stuff but it's um uh but like it, it's remixed and just enough so that it sticks out at least for me it it's remixed enough to stick out 
That is a very kindly and excellent interpretation. <laughs> and yeah, uh, yeah, I got nothing. Oh, and I was surprised how violent it was too. For a nineteen sixty four like Hollywood movie, I was not expecting to see a hand get cut off. Yeah. <laughs> Severed head. Rolling out of a box. Yeah, I think this was yeah, this was after um HG uh Herschel Gordon Lewis uh was doing stuff, so maybe that was a little HGL influence, but I, I doubt that. Yeah. I mean, Honestly, yeah. I think Psycho opened that door, but mm. well, so, That's yeah, true. From, yeah, but so, well, wait, that was when's Blood is Blood Feast after Psycho? Let me find out. I think uh, it's Ponder. Yeah, I'm not sure. Yes. Okay, I guess Psycho must have opened a door for. Because I don't remember, I just re- rewatched Psycho, but I don't remember it being. It, it's like it's a, it's violent parts, but I don't remember any like dismemberment. That no, is no, but screen. there's um, <clears throat> but there's blood. There's like a huge, comparatively, there's a large amount of blood in that movie instead of none. <laughs> like even okay. in westerns and stuff, you know, the people just get shot and they fall over as opposed to blood spurting out like Peckinpah. So. Okay, yeah, yeah. I get you, I mean. Uh, yeah, and, and, yeah, it's... Okay, and, uh... Yeah, that's it. Like, I know I'm in the minority for liking Hush Hush more, but... I don't know, I, I just do. But, uh, yeah, I definitely will be rewatch. I These are definitely movies that, like... I, it, it, I definitely would rewatch. I uh, I think they're both great and they make like a, a fascinating double feature but baby jane is one of those things like even though it was a bit overhyped it still is like i think uh it's like still it's still pretty much like it holds up it's it, it's not it's not what you think it is like if you, if you made it this far and and you haven't seen either movie uh uh, why exactly? But also, um, <laughs> come on. Also, Baby Jane is. If you just know it for like she get, she goes crazy in it. It's like it's more than just she goes crazy. It's like it's a quote unquote a real movie with like dealing with real shit. It is. It's also ridiculous at the same time. It's a real one, but also <clears throat> really over the top. Mm-hmm. And both. Wait a minute! It, it just occurred to me. Both of these yeah. movies also had English people that like leaned into their accents. Uh, that is true. Oh, I remember. Uh, Hush Hush has a segment that's just like in face of another. Uh, the flashback, like trippy sequence towards the end. Yeah, that way has any faces. Yeah. Yeah, just like the yes. end of Face of Another. Which. What? what did we think about Betty Davis? Uh, playing her younger self i think that's kind of hilarious <laughs> but uh i i yeah it, it's it's very silly but i i kind of mind it personally but yeah that's that's just me like i it didn't bother me it's just 
it just adds to like the ridiculous factor of the movie. Hmm. Joel, any thoughts? No, not really. I, I, like I'm so bad at faces that I had no idea. So, oh. just because, really like, bad. At it. In some scenes, it's you know obviously a stand-in, but in other scenes, she's playing herself and like she's so not 20 and yeah it just, it's it's that sounds like a 20 year old that's been smoking for 20 years it's <laughs> so rough and the thing i was wondering was whether that was about her vanity uh or about you know nobody sounds like her and i mean it's true nobody sounds like her but uh i just it's always bothered me i would think vanity yeah, I mean, she was, she was a producer on the movie, too, and it, I feel like she... Because, like, apparent, apparently, Joan was supposed to be in it, but then she She was got, in it briefly, and then she quit. Yeah she, yeah, she got sick, apparently, for weeks, and then she got fired from the project. And oh. Betty was, uh, was a producer on the movie, or had money in it in some way. Yeah. So... Yeah, so it, 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 yeah, I, I would assume it's probably she's like I don't want to don't don't deal with her anymore. <laughs> I mean, I think she got sick in that she crawled into a bottle and didn't come out for the morning call, and Betty was no slouch herself in that department. So, uh, but she was always like the work always came first for for Betty, even though she was an alcoholic and. For Joan Crawford, that became less and less true over the years, so that was certainly part of it. But Olivia de Havilland is incredibly easy to work with, so I'm, yeah, I think it was probably good all around, just so that you didn't have to worry about it anymore. You could just shoot the movie, let it go. Yeah. Uh, what else? Was there? Yeah. So uh, yeah, both these movies are easily available. They're, um, yeah, they're they're not going away anytime soon. I, I don't know if there's even like Blu-rays or anything. I'd assume by this point there probably is from yeah. Yeah. some yeah, for both of them. Yeah. And actually, and, I think you can get a multi-pack that of Betty Davis movies that includes these two. Okay. The yeah, third one uh, is caged or something. Yeah, I yeah I can't wait to watch more Betty Davis movies. I've only seen. Like the basically the ones for the for the season, because like I've said before, classic Hollywood is not really something uh, I am too well versed in. And this is kind of like the I consider it's like the, the the classic Hollywood was pretty much dead by the sixties, and that's that's my my cutoff point. But it's but I still haven't seen like a a lot of the like the classic classic people outside of like Joan Crawford and like Spencer Tracy. I highly recommend The Little Foxes for Betty Davis. She's, you know, I think she won an Oscar for that one, and it's she's on, all the way on. Okay. Yeah, because, like, I've said before, like, Joan Crawford is, like, of that of that era, she's probably one of my favorite actresses from, like, the golden, like, golden age Hollywood stuff. Like, I first saw her in The Unknown, that really cool silent movie with What's that guy's name? Lon Chaney? That one? Yes, that one. Where he would throw knives with his feet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lon Chaney. Yeah, you know, she doesn't she doesn't get much to do, but like 
she leaves an impression even even back then mm-hmm. anyway yeah so uh to the two years are 1962 and 1964 i have well, I'll, I'll sorry okay I just wanted to say, whatever happened to Baby Jane is visible from the Warner Archive Collection from, on Blu-ray. Yeah, about 20 bucks. But, 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 Hush, Hush, Sweet Charlotte was released on, on Blu-ray, but the company that released it was Twilight Time, and Twilight Time doesn't exist anymore. So it's sold out, which means it probably cost a lot of money to get now. Oh, wonderful. You can stream it, though. Yeah. Okay, so for me, I'll speak quick for my recommendations. My first one is 1962. It's The Fabulous Baron Munchausen by Carol uh, um, Zeman. And it's this very... Uh, uh, it, it looks... It's kind of a mix of animation mixed with live action. And it's really hard to even describe what it even looks like. You just have to uh, watch it. And it looks like looks like the kind of thing that like would inspire someone like Wes Anderson, and so and people like with that similar uh, uh, aesthetic. And the other one from '62, I want to mention was um, uh, I mentioned him earlier uh, uh, is um Harikiri. The uh, uh, Kobayashi movie. It stars Tatsuya Nakadai, <laughs> who is the greatest actor of the 20th century, and I will fight anyone who disagree disagrees with me on that. And yeah, thing thing with Har- Harikiri is it's one of those I was always told it's one of the greatest movies ever made, and then I watched it and I was like, yeah, it's 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 the greatest movie ever made. It's it's kind of it's perfect. It's it's one of the few movies I would say is perfect. And just uh, watch it. Don't watch the remake from like 2013. It's it's just good enough. It's not great. And 64, I just have one. It's a straight jacket. uh, A John Crawford movie with uh, directed by William Castle. And it features someone else. George Kennedy. Oh. <laughs> that man never turned movie. down a job. Yeah. And uh, it's another hack quotation thing. It's on the list of episodes. It's uh, it's one that I, 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 I'm on the fence about. I'm not really... I like it a lot, but it's also... There are better, better hack quotation movies to, uh, to pick over it. But it's uh, William Castle just kind of doing like his later era stuff uh that i really appreciate because he gave people like joan crawford roles later uh, in his in his late, in late second half of his career which is i don't say is underrated but uh he, he he did some cool stuff and straight jacket is a lot of fun and uh yeah just, just watch it and you get a young george kennedy that's it uh, J Dog, Catherine, you got you can whoever wants to go. Joel, you go first. Okay. So sixty two. I watched a movie. Yay. 
No, a different movie, at least in preparation for this. And I can't say it's necessarily a movie I would recommend, which is the problem of watching a new movie, possibly for a recommendation list. Um, it's called uh, Pirates of Blood River, uh, directed by John Gilling. It is a Hammer movie. Therefore, it obviously has Christopher Lee in it. Can't do that without him. He plays a pirate captain uh, with a deformed hand. I don't know what's up with that. And, of course, he's missing one of his eyes. And uh, got a ruthless band of pirates that he leads. And there is this, uh, I don't know if I'm saying this right, Huguenot village. I think that's correct. People who ran away from religious persecution, whatever that means. Christians, no. Um, Yeah, so the pirates end up attacking that place, looking for treasure when nobody thinks there's anything of any value. That's kind of against the rules, you know, from that that book people still look at. Um, Anyways, it it was okay. You know, it was kind of a fun watching Christopher Lee doing this stuff and the other pirates were gross and also fun to watch but they like within the first five minutes you get like a super gory scene <laughs> so if you're also looking for something like that it, it has a little bit of gore but the the little bit of gore it has is kind of like oh my god <laughs> and 64 well, my interest oh, that's good if you if you have that hammer horror blu-ray set that has like 20 movies or something like that. Maybe it has a lot more than that. Uh, But none of them are their horror features. They're all their other kind of crime stuff and pirates, obviously. But that was was the first one I've watched out of the box set, and uh, I enjoyed it. So, 64. Man. Why is 64 even a year I have to choose from? Yeah, I'm having a hard time with 64. Like, go back in time. No, I can't do that. Well, you know what? We're, in this season, we're revisiting Teorama, which is a movie that we watched for last season, you know, since we were doing Italian and French stuff. Was it ten, French and Italian? Am I crazy? Uh, yeah, French and Italian. Okay. Yeah, I'm crazy. Anyways, but uh, the Pier Paolo Paolo Pasolini movie, The Gospel According to St. Matthew, came out this year. Now, I've heard people say that this is their favorite, you know, Bible interpretation movie. And you talk about me. Yeah. Besides (laughs) you, I've heard other people say that, too. Okay. Personally, I thought it was dry as hell, but... There, even with a movie like this where I was like uh, the dialogue is whatever because the, the dialogue is all taken straight out of whatever version of the Bible he Pierre had found at like the used bookmark because uh, he wasn't religious um, I call him by his first name I, I meant Mr. Pasolini I, I would he, say he, oh, never mind. the way the way he shoots his people the the realism of the places that they use for their sets and everything like that and his choices 
of holding on scenes that seem dramatic or are supposed to be heartwarming and stuff like that. It, it, it feels like a very special movie considering the other stuff that I've seen him do. So I recommend it. Okay. It's kind of public domain. It's easy to find, too. It belongs to the people. Yeah, and uh, the other famous thing is Mel Gibson used some of the locations for Passion of the Christ. Which, yay, I guess, but... You think Pasolini, <laughs> do you think Pasolini would have liked Passion of the Christ? No. <laughs> I don't think he would like Mel Gibson either. No, I don't think so either. <laughs> I think he would punch Mel Gibson, though. Because he, he was not opposed to punching fascists. Yeah, that's true. Um, so for 60, 62 was a good year for classic Hollywood and also like, you know, To Kill a Mockingbird and Lawrence of Arabia and so on came out that year. Um, but I got to go with The Manchurian Candidate, which is one of the greatest films to come out of classical Hollywood and one of the most surprising ones. And, uh, whenever someone tells me, oh yeah, I saw that with Denzel Washington, I kind of die a little inside every time that happens. So, um, except no substitutes, the original is stunning and made me take Frankenheimer seriously long after I should have stopped doing so. Uh, also that year was a little short film by Chris Marker called La Jete, which was the basis for 12 Monkeys by Gilliam. And, uh, if you haven't seen it, you should, it's amazing. It's probably on YouTube. If you got any kind of formal film education in a college, you probably have seen it. Uh, also that year was this weird movie called Panic in Year Zero, which is about a nuclear bomb dropping on Los Angeles and Ray Milland and his family have to figure out how to survive. And like, there's two things that are interesting about this movie. One of them is that Gene Hagen is in it and she is a, um, she plays a dramatic part. You may remember her from uh, playing Lena Lamont in Singing in the Rain. And so she uses her like actual voice <laughs> and plays a dramatic part in Panic in Year Zero, which is kind of a pleasure. But the thing that happens in it is that everyone is out for themselves, which is not what people do in crises, according to Rebecca Solnit. It's like a wildly inaccurate take on what would happen in a giant disaster. So um, I saw it. It wasn't amazing. It was fascinating in how probably incorrect it was. So I'm going to stick with Manchurian Candidate and La Jete. Um, for 1964, so 1964 was uh, a year in which it was obvious that American films did not know how to do comedy anymore because there are all these unbelievably bad comedies, um, many of them unfortunately starring Doris Day. Like, I love her, but oh boy. Uh, frothy 60s comedies is just the worst. However, there are a bunch of movies this year that everyone likes except me. So, like, Umbrellas of Cherbourg was this year. My Fair Lady was this year. Like, these are movies that I do not like, but that are very well regarded. Uh, and um, I'm also so not the one, biggest fan of Umbrellas. Yeah, I just... It just falls flat for me. I'm not sure why. It doesn't delight me the way that it seems to <laughs> for other people. Is that like, how it is for you? Uh, I love it. But I love young girl, young girls of Rochefort more, a lot more. 
It's okay. a, it, it's a sad story, any but I also yeah. just like it. Just feels it feels like an idea and uh, not necessarily a film. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, Mothra versus Godzilla came out that year, which is a big plus. And I had one. I had one right here that I was going to recommend. Oh yeah, Kitten with a Whip. Uh, which is a movie with Anne Margaret that was mystery scienced, uh, and it's it's terrible and great. I mean, Anne Margaret is never not great, so <laughs> I highly recommend that. Okay. Yeah, that's been on my list for a while because I'm a big Twilight Zone fan, and a lot of Twilight Zone people are connected to that movie. To Kitten with a Whip. Yes. Oh, At least, it, that, yeah. Uh, that might be why it's like sort of decently directed. <clears throat> My brain's telling me maybe Don Medford directed it, but I'm not sure. It was a Twilight Zone director who directed I it. Close the window. Let me look. Kitten with a whip, which of course is the name of many movies. Mm, okay. Uh, so. Um, no, Douglas Hayes. Sorry. Okay. There is some Twilight Zone connections. I just can't remember what they are. Okay, so um, you picked uh, a couple other movies for uh, stuff to appear on. So um, one is Winchester 73. That last time I checked, I'm going to check now, it was not streaming. I believe that's correct. Okay, now it is. Okay, so yeah. That one is currently streaming for the next who knows how long. And uh, Gold Diggers of 1933 with Dames. Mm -hmm. So uh, which one would you want to cover next? Um, it's up to you guys. I, I studied Dames in college. <laughs> the movie, not the people. And... Um, so I and and I have a lot to say about Gold Diggers of 1933. Uh, Winchester 73. I'll have to watch again because um, I want to bring in the single most influential mm -hmm. film book in my life, which is related to Winchester 73. So uh, whatever works for you. Okay. Yeah, and uh, uh, Joel, um, Gold Diggers is another pre-code musical, so I don't think you'd enjoy it. I mean, you know, just because I didn't enjoy the other ones ever that I've ever seen. <laughs> well, you know, yeah, it's, this this could be the one. Uh, yeah, it's another, uh, we're putting on a show, behind the scenes type pre-code musical. Uh, okay, well, at least it's original. Yeah, it's, it's a Busby Berkeley scenes are great, but... Uh, yeah. Yeah, I don't think you'd, based off the last one, I don't think you'd enjoy it. What did you do before? <clears throat> we did Footlight Parade and Madam Satan. I love Footlight Parade. That's such a special movie to me. <laughs> yeah, I really liked it too, but someone here No, 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 no. Good, good. I'm glad everybody okay. liked it. <laughs> <laughs> 
If you don't watch Gold Diggers of 33, do look up and watch the Forgotten Man number. Highly recommend doing that, just because it offers a perspective that has kind of been lost about how uh, Americans reacted to World War One. So, if you like, if you can't stand to watch the whole movie, which I am fine with, uh, Joel, do watch oh, that yeah. last bit. Yeah, I mean, I, mm. I watch movies that I'm worried I'm not going to like all the time. Okay. It's called I mean, being an adult. Okay. <laughs> yeah, but you don't have to put yourself in for something that's like not for yeah. you. I mean, it's the same reason people are like, "Oh, you should see this Robert Altman film," and I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, I'll totally do that." And then <laughs> it's uh, yep, we all dislike Robert Altman. Anyway, uh, <laughs> don't tell her about love, her next season. Okay, I will not. <laughs> I love Altman, but I get it. He's he's a he's a vibe that not everyone likes. I mean, it's. I, I developed a, a big grudge for him early on and kind of never lost it. But if you oh. need if you need a negative force about Altman, I am your girl. Oh yeah, I'm sure. Like I've seen a, a few and some I think are garbage. So yeah. <laughs> also, he, he, he I love him because he worked with Shirley Duvall seven times, and mm. Shirley Duvall is my favorite actress of all time. Uh, which is the secret reason I picked Altman for for our final season, so I can talk about the the good Shelley movies and Time Bandits, because that's another one with her. Okay, yeah. So uh, this, Freya uh, Catherine, thank you for your time. We're, you'll uh, probably Winchester will be in next one, because I, Joel, I don't want to force you to watch another preco musical for a little while. I mean, it's fine. It's, uh, you know, I consider it film education. Like, okay, that's why I watch it. I mean, it has Dick Powell, who you said is like the human embodiment of white paste. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe it was just in that one movie. No, no he's kind you're of bland. Totally correct. Like, okay. I, I love Dick Powell, but that is correct. That's a correct assessment. <laughs> okay. Yes. Yeah, so. Uh, I write for Grumpire sometimes. I have a piece that just that just came out. I have, I have two articles that came out earlier in the summer. One was on Godfrey Cambridge and uh, the two movies he starred in that came out on the same day. And then I had an article on Stormy Weather and how it's secretly a punk movie. And I'm featured in the action movie column they used to do regularly. And there's a thing they're doing that would be out after this on for national hip hop day, I'm writing about a movie that's very special to me and I'm not being ironic. I mean, serious, uh, how high the red man method man comedy, it, it's very special to me. And I got, I kind of gush about it, about why it's so important to me and why I love it so much for national hip hop day. And I have a piece, um, uh, in the vague future on psycho with a baby and girly, and uh, some other stuff down a pipeline for Grumpire on, uh, for other movies and whatnot. And uh, possibly an interview in a vague future. I just have to email the famous person first. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that's it for me. Um, J-Dog, do you have stuff? No. No. Just send me send me a nice nice note on uh, Twitter or something. 
Okay. That's that's handle? that's a personal request. Oh, um, right now it is JDT Games, I think. Right? Yeah, JT JDT Games. Yeah, JDT Games. Um, I think that may change because I uh, I don't know my identity. I know it's just Twitter. I just feel weird. <laughs> that's fair. Okay, uh, Catherine, you, you're a, a busy lady. You got stuff you're always working on. I do got stuff. So I uh, am still selling my book, Junk Film. Uh, it's available on Amazon. You can also buy it directly from me. If you PayPal me $17, I'll send you a signed copy and some stickers. Um, I most recently in print was a piece in um, LARB where I talked about how there's no such thing as a guilty pleasure and unfortunately the the uh, also recommended column had a bunch of articles about guilty pleasures and I was like damn it uh, and uh, in the very near future I'm going to announce that a co-editor and I are putting together an anthology of work about millennials on poltergeist so we'll be opening submissions for that in October of 2023. Uh, we want people to send in stories, essays, comics, collages, poems, whatever the hell you want to say about Poltergeist. If you have something to say and you are of a certain age, we want to read it. And we're okay. going to put that together in an anthology that has interested University of Hell Press. So oh. that's um, forthcoming. And uh, I'm on six or seven thousand podcasts this year <laughs> so look for me uh i'm always okay. entertaining yeah uh I, yeah again thank you for your time uh yeah you will return for realistically winchester because it's uh i'd rather talk about western because we've, we've done a, a too much pre-code stuff recently i won't get westerns again, <sighs> no again. such thing uh yeah well it's not me it's a it, it's uh I just feel like Joel's getting tired of pre-code stuff. <laughs> anyway, yeah, so uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, we're on the shows on Twitter. I'm on Instagram under Veda Huff. That's a reference to a Spike Lee movie. She hate me. Don't watch. She hate me. Just just look up screenshots of the CGI jizz. That's all you need to do. <laughs> don't don't watch the movie. And, uh, yeah, so, yeah, that's it. Uh, see you guys next time for, uh, I don't know yet. I, I don't schedule stuff that far in advance. Our theme music is by James Fell. 
Our logo is by Andrew Bargeron. You can find him as Jemetsko on Threadless, TeePublic, Redbubble, Shirt Woot Catalog, and T Theory. That is spelled G I M E T Z C O. You can find our show in previous seasons on Podbean, Spotify, Google Play, and other places where you can find podcasts.